Thank you, guys. Yep. Uh, Jeff Howe, it's only an hour. Normally, Jordan Scruggs yesterday. I have my man Chris Dukes today. It's Eric Henry, Horns 24-7, wrapped up his first year on the football beat, and now diving headfirst back into basketball. Eric, you ready for that conference opener tomorrow? It doesn't matter whether I'm ready, Jeff, because it's coming for me, right? Just like you, I'm, I'm still feeling it coming off of that. New Orleans trip, you know, listen, uh, five days in New Orleans, a lot like five days in Vegas. After day three, it's like, yeah, it's time to uh, it's time to close up shop and get back home. Yeah, man, it's uh, I can do about two in New Orleans. Like that's probably probably my limit. But then after that, it's just there's just too much it's too much going on. I don't know if it's my ADHD or what. I get overstimulated, but I just it's just too much going on after two days. I need to I need to wind down a little bit um eric you want to set the table for everybody because i'm sure everybody's kind of familiar with your work by now but just your background man i don't think people know enough about it man you're not that recently removed from being a college grad uh you know covered uh did some work for underdog dynasty at sb nation covering the powerhouse that is fiu and the great butch davis but yeah just your background man go ahead and let the people know a little bit about yourself yeah, uh, I guess I, uh, you know, kind of kick it off here. A native Floridian, so that's making already a, a, an interesting adjustment being here in the Lone Star State. But uh, went to college UCF class of 2014, so I got the great Blake Bortles years, the Fiesta Bowl years, and transitioned that right into uh, grad school, into grad school in Chicago, and that's really where I got my first job. Um, I, I, I came right out of out of grad school and spent 11 months uh, working in TV. Uh, quickly realized TV was not uh, where it was at for me. It was no disrespect to those middle school uh, soccer games there in Rockford, Illinois. But when you're in your, your, your debut market, you know, it's a lot of middle school basketball and, and kids haven't quite mastered their coordination uh, as <laughs> how to uh, get the ball around in places. So um was covering high schools uh, in the area for uh, for a couple of local papers. And then, yeah, Jeff, as you hit on it, you know, joined SB Nation, spent wow, was it six seasons with SB Nation Underdog Dynasty in a variety of roles covering CUSA, the American Sun Belt, and primary beat was the Florida International Panthers. I mean, listen, they, they weren't quite a, a punchline, you know, the first few years. Bush yeah. Davis, Bush Davis had them to the three straight bowl games, but then, you know, as seems to be the case at, at group of five schools, as you can relate to Jeff and the administration ain't on, on the same page as, as the head coach, the old head coach about football. Uh, things go sour quickly so uh to, to, to wrap it up a spend what the last 18 months reporting on uh butch davis claiming let me give you the highlights here jeff butch davis claiming that uh his job was being posted on job boards which fiu's response was well that's what we do with every coach in every you know uh, sport we post the jobs on the job boards which is ridiculously true to give you yeah. Example of just how <laughs> wild that is. Butch Davis claiming that uh, they were using used pads at, at one point in time, um, pads from, you know, five, six years Jeez. prior. Uh, Butch Davis walking out after the team uh, went 0-7 and saying, Eric, uh, sorry you made the trip to, to Huntington, but uh, I'll talk to you on Tuesday. <laughs> and declining his <laughs> post-game press conference. <laughs> which, which, shout out to Jason Corey or the old uh marshall sid actually was helping out the sugar bowl because he was too lame jason was like hey man i'll i'll give you some of our post game stuff so you don't go away with no quotes um and, and yeah that was capped with uh that well i guess the highlight jeff or the low light was butch davis refusing to wear fiu affiliated apparel so there was a home game against nice. North texas which he just wore a blue ll bean sweatshirt 
And when the rain happened, you know, FIU has rain. Gary said, nah, go get me a, a blue uh, jacket from Walmart down the street. <laughs> it didn't wear an FIU jacket. Oh, so, man. So all See, that, so, and it's brought me to Texas, Jeff. So while you were, while I, while I was dealing with Charlie Strong and then Tom Herman and, you know, issues that there are not enough showtime left in the year to get into everything that went on during those years, those seven years, seemed like seven decades. Uh, you were dealing with your own at FIU, but now you're covering Texas. It's a little more stability. And, you know, we've, we've actually this week on the show and on the site, we've, we've tried to put the 2023 season to bed, but man, 2024, it's, it's rolling, man. It's, it's rocking rare and ready to go. Uh, let's get you, uh, let's talk about some of the portal moves and NFL draft moves that honestly, I haven't had a chance to talk a ton about this week. Um, I don't think it shocks anybody that Jonathan Brooks and Xavier Worthy and Byron Murphy are all have all declared for the draft already. I mean, Byron Murphy's was a formality. He had done everything except officially announced that he was going into the draft when a guy accepts his senior bowl invite as a junior. Kind of the writing's on the wall at that point. Like you understand what you're dealing with. Uh we didn't none of us expect Xavier Worthy to be back. And, you know, uh Jonathan Brooks, it was Probably, I think once the knee injury happened, I think that pretty much solidified it that he was probably going to go pro at that point. Because, you know, just go ahead and strike while the iron's hot. There's no guarantee what happens next year at Texas. You might as well go get paid while you can. Uh, Eric, wh- which of those guys is going to be hardest to replace? Murphy, Worthy, Brooks. Which of those guys is hardest to replace? You know, it's interesting because I, if you had asked me this question prior to the last few weeks, I'd have gone with Murphy just because it's the combination of Murphy and Sweat, right? Mm-hmm. You know, those two guys certainly play off of each other and help benefit one another. But, Jeff, I'm going worthy, and, and, and here's why. When you do a deep dive in, in, into X's stats, man, and you look – and obviously you were here the past two years, um, yeah. prior two years. But you take a look at just his improvement as a player and, and, and the versatility in ways that Texas used him. A, you need someone who's not only going to be able to play on the outside, but play in the slot. Second, his speed, and we're talking about elite speed. And yeah. we're hoping maybe some guys like John Tay Cook and others can replicate that. But the pressure that puts on opposing defenses really opened up things for a JT Sanders, for an A.D. Mitchell, you know, for, for other guys just all around the defense. So in my mind, you know, we kind of talked about on the side a little bit as far as the run game. You got to feel confident to shard choice. You got to feel confident in his running back room. CJ Baxter obviously opened yeah. the year as the RB1. And then you got John, T- John T. Cook. You got uh, Jaden Blue, yeah. someone who, you know, really showed flashes. So you got to think that running game is going to be able to keep on rolling in my mind if the, both of those guys take the gradual progression in their game and Trey Wisner as well. But X, I, I, it, it's not as simple in my mind as just plugging a receiver. While, you know, you know this, Jeff, the, Sar- the, the staff and Sark been really high on John T. and he earned his time this year. Is a difference between being a high, being high on a freshman behind some vets, and potentially being, you know, a number one or number two target in the offense. Yeah, with X, you know, as far as his NFL future goes, I do wonder what does he run at? What actually does he run at the combine? It's going to be sub four four. You know, how close to you know four two does he get? And is there an organization he's built differently than Tyreek Hill? But does somebody look at Zay Flowers, Tyreek Hill, somebody in that mold, look at X that way and say, yeah, he can be our version of that and snags him in the first round? Um, I think he had to go. 
that part of it that just that dynamic proven playmaking ability i see where you're coming from that's the stuff that's hard to replace like a guy that can i mean shoot i i can't think of too many guys marquise goodwin was one of these guys uh devin duvernay was a, built a little bit different but a guy that can take a punt and you kind of hold your breath every time he gets the ball on a punt return uh a guy that can score in multiple phases uh texas hasn't had too many of those guys and honestly that's not just a texas thing like you don't find that many guys that can score you know make explosive plays the the 40 50 60 yard plays do it on a on a bubble screen can do it on a go route can do it on a punt return can do it on a, a reverse and we've seen x do all of those things in his time at texas that's the thing that I, I wonder it's going to be hard to replace. And may look, maybe Jontae Cook is ready to be that guy as a sophomore. Maybe you've got to money ball it a little bit. But I, I, there's a definitely an argument to be made. I would probably still go with Byron Murphy, but there's an argument to be made for Worthy. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, can, can I bounce this off you really quick? Because this go is something, that, again, you were here the past two years. So I, I'd love your thoughts on this. I, I couldn't really make out whether this was just coach speak or if there's actually, you know, some meat in this, but. You know, a lot was made of X's efficiency, right? And you really compared to last year in which they had to throw him, you know, he hauled in something like 52, 53% of the passes thrown his way as opposed to a much higher rate this year. Right. Did he run the route tree better? Was there an expanded route tree for X this year? Or was it just that the catches were coming easier? Because that's also kind of emboldens my feeling. If he was running a, a more expanded route tree, again, that's not something you just pick up on day one. Yeah. Um, I think... I'd have to really go back. I know the route tree for him as a freshman was pretty. I, he honestly, Eric, he probably had more of an expansive route tree as a freshman than he did last year. Okay. Um, you know, I was was Casey Thompson an answer as like a franchise quarterback? No, but you know he was good enough at distri- understanding where the ball needed to go, and Xavier Worthy was a really good target for him. Uh, you know, 2022 was just so tough because you had the combination of Quinn's injury. Uh, yeah, you know, you had Hudson Card, Bijan needed X number of touches, Roshan needed X number of touches, and then you throw in the fact that he had the bad hand. I mean, even the other night with you know the amount of targets that he had this year, if you look at Pro Football Focus, his catch percentage uh, it was the highest of his career at 63. percent He was just over 60 as a freshman and was a hair over 52 as a sophomore. Um, you know, you, I know you wrote it earlier this year. You, you wrote a couple of worthy stories and I know Sark said, uh, Sark talked about it too. He said he told X, I think it was after the Oklahoma game. He was like, man, if you're going to catch, you know, six balls, I'd have had to get you 15, 16 targets. Now we can only do it. It only takes us eight or nine. Uh, that efficiency area, that catcher, that catch efficiency, he was like in the, the low, the low seventies before Quinn got hurt. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was he was on his way to a much better season. But yeah, I think the route tree was a little more open for him as a freshman than it was. Because you gotta remember, like it just shows you how far that receiver room has come. Because when X was a freshman, they they didn't really have a ton of options. I mean, you had Joshua Moore, uh, who was kind of a just a a, a vertical guy. You had uh Marcus Washington, who was kind of more of a short intermediate guy. And X was kind of the one guy in that room who could do a little bit of everything. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, um, well, sorry, I didn't realize that was back at me. Um, just no, of- you're good, you're good. I just, yeah, I, I was just trying to think. No, I, I was trying to think if I really wanted to just plant my flag and say, yeah, the route tree for him was more expensive as a freshman than a sophomore, but yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just kind of, you know, finish up that thought there and, and the the efficiency as we talked about was huge. And uh, the thing with that in my mind, and obviously what's with the quarterback situation is next year, uh, you know, I, my anticipation is that it would be Quinn yours. I think when you couple Quinn's, uh, you know, increased efficiency this year and greater understanding of the offense and, you know, kind of what to do with the football, just getting out, you know, as Quinn would say, you know, you can't go broke taking a profit. Right. Those mm-hmm. things should help uh, and, and kind of ease that loss a little bit as far as efficiency. And we'll see what happens, you know, A.D., Certainly has a decision to make it as well. So right now I'm going. It's just under the assumption that what you have coming back, as far as those top three guys, is is Jonte Cook, Matt Golden, or, or I should say, you know, not coming back, but will be on the rosters. Cook, mm-hmm. Matt Golden, uh, and then DeAndre Moore. Yeah, looking back at, uh, I was just trying to find Eric, the 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 kind of some of the advanced statistics from Worthy's freshman year, and where it really where his target percentage really ramped up was after the Oklahoma game. He had the big game against Oklahoma where he scores on a first play from scrimmage. And if anybody remembers what happened in the OU game, Jordan Whittington got hurt. So after that, you know, you, you had Jay Witt was Jay Witt had a really good game against TCU and was, was having one against OU. Then he gets hurt. And then after that, I mean, you know, you and if you look at just targets that year, I mean, you went from X with 103, Joshua Moore in nine games because he left the team after the Iowa State game at 45 targets. So you've got a what is that? A almost a 60 60 target differential between your number one and your number two. Yeah, that just there was just a lot more on him as a freshman, and he was more efficient because it's amazing how more efficient a wide receiver can be when you have two functional hands. Uh, it's crazy, crazy how that works out. But I would go with Murphy, and that kind of leads us to some portal talk, man. Trill yeah. Carter, uh, Matt Zinnis reported this. At, I don't know what the hell my dog is doing, man. She's like throwing herself into this door, but I assume she's okay. Um, <laughs> kind of distracted me a little bit. But no, Matt Zinnis reported for us at uh, 24-7 Sports that Trill Carter is going to enter the portal as a grad transfer. Um, you know, that – it's unfortunate from a depth standpoint. And, and and now after you see it play out, you understand kind of why they got Trill Carter. They got him to be a rotational guy. And I think as insurance, in case there was an injury to one of those top four guys, whether it was Sweat, Murphy, Collins, or Broughton, or maybe Collins didn't take that next step or whatever the case was, you know, Trill Carter probably served his function as best he could for the Texas staff. And now I think you're looking at, okay, for them, it's like Sadir Mitchell. Can he step into that role or, or Aaron? Brown? I keep saying, Eric, it's a massive offseason for that group of, of third year tackles. Like those guys going to be redshirt sophomores like Aaron Bryant, Zach Swanson, uh, Jare Bledsoe. Like you're going to need 
at definitely one, maybe two of those guys to step up and be big time rotational pieces for you. I mean, if not, thank goodness Alex January and DeAndre Robinson are going to be here in a couple of weeks because they're going through spring ball. They're going to have a chance to get into this rotation. So uh, it hurts from that standpoint to lose Trill Carter. You just lose that buffer you had between the the young guys and necessary high leverage snaps. I'll put it that way. You yeah, Jeff. Have to anymore now that Trill's gone. Yeah, Jeff. No doubt. I mean, in my mind, you know, some people just you know on our on our board of twenty four seven. I saw you know when I, I wrote a piece the other day. And credit to you, you know, you're the one who planted the seed as far as that you know with Sweat and Murphy leaving and AC coming back. AC and Broaden being the next guys who have a chance to be you know kind of develop right. You know, we saw mm-hmm. what Bo Davis did uh, going back. You know, with Sweat and Murphy and, and and even with Keandre Coburn and Mara Ojimo, right? So you're really having a chance to do that. But I think. In my mind, Trill had to see the writing on the walls. I mean, he's a, he's a veteran college ball player, you know, started three years in Minnesota. You take a look at his snap count. He had over 537 snaps in Minnesota. And even uh, the year prior to last was playing over 300, right? To see his snap count reduced. Uh, I wonder, you know, Jeff, my mind always goes to expectations versus reality. You said that Trill served his purpose for Texas. I wonder if that was the purpose that Trill knew he was getting himself into. Not saying that you, you regrets the transfer, but when you, you get your – snap total cut in half and your highest snap total of the year is in a blowout against Baylor. You always wonder how that works. But I think in the other thing, again, he had to see the writing on the wall and that, yeah, you got Sidira Mitchell, you know, you got Jory Bledsoe, Zach Swanson, Aaron Bryan, all these guys you talked about. And, you know, maybe I'm a little biased in being a Floridian, but I know that Jones program really well, having gone to college in, uh, in Orlando. And I'm telling you right now, I think DeAndre Robinson is going to be someone who, again, if he gets here in the spring, you said January as well, uh, Alex January as well. If, mm-hmm. you know, DeAndre Robinson gets here in the spring with his size and, and his measurables, if he can hit the ground running, I mean, like you said, he's going to have a real chance to crack that rotation. So all in all, I think in my mind, wasn't the biggest shock in, in my mind. I guess I'm just curious from a, a Trill Carter perspective, what he thinks the next stop is, whether that's, you know, a, a power five stop, a stop or, or, you know, going back to, or going to the G5 ranks and kind of curious where his landing space landing spot may be, mm-hmm. but all in all, you know, not too stunned. Um, by then, I don't even think it leaves Texas thin, to be honest with you, because I mean, you know, even coming into the year, you were high on guys like Sadira Mitchell and Dre Bledsoe and others. So um, maybe I'm a little bit higher and optimistic than kind of what I'm seeing in the immediate news of, of Trill's departure. Yeah, I'm just going to go to our scholarship distribution. This is a really good tool to follow at uh, Horns 24 7, our scholarship distribution. Um, so, you know, you lose Sweat and you lose Carter uh, and Murphy. You got Collins and Broughton are your only upperclassmen. Uh, and then you'll have Bledsoe Bryant, Bledsoe Bryant and Swanson as redshirt sophomores. You'll have Mitchell as a redshirt freshman, and then Deontre Robinson and Alex January coming in. So you'll have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You'll have eight, eight interior defensive linemen on scholarship for spring ball. Like I'm telling you, man, th- this is probably going to be the most robust spring roster we've seen at Texas. Man, definitely back going back to the Mac Brown days because you're, you know, the guys that you're losing into the NFL, you expected to lose. But with what you've done in the 2022 and 2023 classes and as many early enrollees as you've got in the 24 class, I mean, what are we talking about? 18, 17, 18 early enrollees. Um, you're going to have 70 plus scholarship guys. I mean, probably close to 80 scholarships on campus in spring ball. Like, you don't. Eric, you've covered enough spring practices at different places. Like you don't, you probably got what, like, you know, sixty-five ish 
scholarships in the spring. Like it's gone from, you know, Sark's first year where you didn't have enough scholarship offensive linemen to field two teams for a spring game. Now it's going to be like, dude, you're going to have to have, you might have to have scrimmages where maybe you hold the vets out, like guys that you know can go. Maybe you hold some of those guys out just because that could be your only chance to get a look at some young guys. So, like, the structure Sark uses for spring ball is going to be critical to make sure these young guys get some reps because that it's a – trust me, it's a first-world problem that we're talking about here. Like, it's a great problem to have. But, man, it's just – and, and it's probably going to lead, if we're being honest, Derek, it's going to lead to some post-spring attrition, which I think anybody that looks at this roster realizes, look, at some at some point, some of these guys, to borrow your phrase from earlier, some of these guys will see the writing on the wall and be like, you know what, um, I just got passed up by this guy that's a class behind me, and uh, yeah, I don't see a path to playing time, so maybe I just need to go do it somewhere else. Um, again, that's going to be a good problem to have, You're just letting competition sort some of this stuff out. Um you know, I, I, that's just kind of a tangent for me there in the Trill Carter conversation. But like I said, is Trill Carter a loss? Yes, but it's a loss from a depth perspective. It's a loss from a veteran perspective, from a production perspective. Like you said, we're talking about, you know, right around 250 snaps. That's 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 nothing compared to what you're going to ask some of these other guys to play. And Jeff, really quick, I'll just bounce this off you, you know, and first to kind of cap the point you're making about spring. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I had two years at Florida National, which they went in with 50 and 53 guys. Yeah. In spring, right. So, I mean, that, that it, to juxtapose that to what Texas has completely different. But want to bounce this off you. If you're thinking at best, if Trill sticks around at best, he's the third guy. And it's no disrespect to Trill, but you got to think Vernon Broughton, AC are, are, are the one. No and two, question. Right? At, at best, he's a third guy. Jeff, the upside of, you know, some of the guys behind him, right? Some of the guys we talk about, Dre Bledsoe, Sadira Mitchell, and others, even Aaron mm-hmm. Bryant, right? You're probably thinking, yes, um, those snaps that Trill would have played would have been valuable, and he probably would have been more in the 300-ish range, uh, you know, high, maybe mid to high 300-ish. But I think the upside of some of those guys is, is even better than what you've gotten with Trill. And quite frankly, probably, you know, some of those guys are going to be better served by getting on the field this year, maybe a little more playmaking ability than a troll. I just want to bounce off you really quick. No, that's the that's that old adage. Um, that's the old adage of, you know, if you've got. If you've got an upperclassman and a freshman and it's close, go with the young guy. All right. You know, and I think there's going to be, you know. Sark has said enough positive things about Jare Bledsoe to make me feel like they're gonna they're gonna be able to find a role for him. I don't I, I don't know what it is yet, but they're gonna be able to find a role for him. You know, Sadir Mitchell, they've kind of been priming him to to be ready to step in now in year two, knowing they really wouldn't have to use him in, in year one. Yeah, I, I'm with you hundred percent. I I do believe if if it's close, man, go go with the young guy, go with the upside, especially when you've got two frontline guys with Collins and Broaden going into the SEC. I mean, look, let's face it, man, going into the SEC, it's going to be all hands on deck with with your lines of scrimmage. That's why, I mean, for the first time in a long time, the two deep on the offensive line probably is going to matter just because the the beating you take week in and week out in that league physically. I mean, I put it, I put it in perspective like this, Eric. Like, if you look at – if you look at Texas's schedule in 23 and look at the teams that had seven or fewer wins, so that's your seven and sixes 
uh, all the way down to your lo- teams with losing records. You're basically going to swap TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Baylor, and BYU. You'll swap those five for Florida, Kentucky, Texas A&M, uh, Arkansas, and I, I forgot oh, Mississippi State. Yeah, that's a little bit different. It's a, that's a different deal, you know. So uh, it's just a week in, week out. I think that's the toughest adjustment for Texas. Honestly, it's just it's. I don't think it's depth. I don't think it's anything X's and O's wise. I think it's just the 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 week in, week out grind that there really are no Saturdays off in the SEC. There are no gimmies on that schedule. And, and Jeff, you know, it's interesting because I'm self-admittedly, I've been tough on the SEC over the past half decade, right? Maybe some of that is from my time covering G5 football. But, yeah, Jeff, we're old enough to remember when, you know, Kentucky versus Mississippi State, right? That wasn't quite what it is now. Yeah. Um, and, and I know I've been tough on the SEC saying like, hey, you know, they really are a byproduct of uh, the last 10, 12 years. But the fact of the matter is whether there's validity in that statement, it, it's manifested itself in just a, a talent infusion top to bottom, you know. And, and like you said, there are no Saturdays off. There, there aren't going to be games and may face, you know, example like a Baylor uh, of this year, right, where they're just just clearly an overmatched team so whatever for whatever you think of that you know mid to lower tier of the sec mm. they still are, are are probably heading shoulders above you know 60 to 70 percent of of certain power five schools just in that same category yeah. you get beat any week i love how anytime we talk about a talent deficient roster in the big 12 and you just did it you're not definitely not the only one i've done it jordan's done it everybody else has done it my man chris dukes did it yesterday like we just squat over Baylor and just take a giant dump off of what Dave Aranda put on the field this last year. <laughs> Jeff, I, I have no room to talk considering, you know, I, I'm here. I am sitting here and, and I'll let the audience in a little bit. You know, I, I, I want to say that was what the Kansas game for Texas. Uh, it was a game it was a blowout uh, the same week. So now keep it on the UCF scores. I'm like, all right, you know, see what happens there. UCF was still a team that possibly going to make some noise in the big 12. By the time we get down to starts presser, uh, they've blown that lead. So I'm probably not the person who should be crapping on Baylor considering, you know, they made the fighting Gus Malzahn's look like, you know, complete trash. Hey, as a Texas State grad, I can say whatever I want about Baylor for the next <laughs> year. So the fighting G.J. Kenny's went to Waco and got it done. Yeah, I was texting uh, I was texting you during the uh, – you were at the Gasparilla Bowl. And, you know, the I was like, oh, man, the Gus bus had a blowout. And I was, I was thinking, I texted you this. I was like, you know what? If Mario Cristobal didn't have just an irrational hatred for the victory formation, I'm like, Georgia Tech wouldn't even be in this game right now. <laughs> it, it, emphasis on irrational hatred. Because I, I saw that live. And that was that was a wild to watch play out. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it with him, man. Like, Mario Cristobal, I feel kind of the same way about Mario Cristobal that I do about Charlie Strong. I want to like him as a coach. Like, like I've I've had enough of people interact with him. I know our guy Josh Pate spent some time down at Miami. Like, Mario, you hear Mario Cristobal talk, you know, played for Jimmy Johnson, played for Dennis Erickson, tough dude. Like, man, he's an old line guy. I'm like, man, Mario Cristobal sounds like a good dude, you know? Maybe he's not. I don't know, but that's just my impression of him. Uh, seems like a, a good guy. But he does stuff during the course of a game that just makes you like, dude, are you trying to get fired? Like, are you just, 
like are you are you throwing stuff at the wall just seeing what'll stick like are you is this a is this an experiment for you like are you ribbing everybody like i don't know you're doing a bit like i just i don't know man it just makes you really question like what's going through his head during a game i want to like mario Cristobal, but good lord man it's hard jeff to quickly put a cap on it you know it's wild because not only did you do it at Miami, you got the evidence of him having the same scenario at Oregon. And I'll give you one more, not to make this the FIU hour, but he did it there too in a game against Louisiana Lafayette. You just can't find video footage of it because that one was on like the Armed Forces Network or whatever. Some ball, you know, <laughs> top football was on, but I get I, someone who covered the team. A lot of fans will tell you who were in my mention saying that wasn't the first time he did it. <laughs> it was at yeah. So there you go. It was it was on uh, it was on the Ocho, so nobody can so nobody can find it. Uh, wherever uh, wherever Texas State and Georgia Southern played last year, whatever network that was on, that's that's what channel. Uh, he said it was FIU and Louisiana ULL. Woo man, what league is FIU in there? Are they in the are they in the Conference USA? They're still in Conference USA. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I <laughs> I was. Uh, <laughs> I was watching UTEP and FIU on a Tuesday, and I texted you because I saw something. Oh, that was FIU. FIU was wearing the Miami Vice jerseys. And I told you, I said, hey, man, I like those FIU Miami Vice jerseys. And my follow-up text immediately was like, please, for the love of God, don't judge me for watching UTEP and FIU on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or whatever it was. Jeff, you know my – my guy Barrick Neely was uh, my guy Barrick Neely was on the YouTube staff. He's back home at Texas State now, so congratulations. Another reason for me to like GJ Kenny and uh, President Dampus and uh, Don Coryell, the AD, but for getting Barrick back home. But yeah, that's why I was watching the UTEP game, and I realized I was like, man, I I can only admit this to Eric, but now I've admitted it publicly because that's a sick admission to make that you were watching FIU and UTEP on a random ass weeknight. I just was going to say this. If you ever question Jeff Howe's uh, commitment and love to college football, not only was he watching FIU UTEP, Jeff also texted me during the week and asked me if Biff Pogey always put that shirt on. So if you want to talk about that for 30 seconds, I'll let you have at it. Uh, That was Charlotte, and I cannot remember who they were playing, but it was a Charlotte home game. And I'm like, who is this slob on the sidelines with like a (laughs) – looking like a, a a redneck getting after it in the yard on a weekend, like uh, getting under his truck, changing his oil. And I'm like, they're like a oh, Biff Pogey. And they kept like putting the camera on him. I'm like, Oh my, I'm like, that's the head coach. That's your head coach at Charlotte. That's the guy that's, you know, like every, every university president will tell you, Oh, football is the front door to the, to the university. Yeah. That's the guy opening the front door for people to go to Charlotte as a dude in a, a sleeveless T-shirt with the big old slit down the neck, probably got a skull can in his back pocket. Like, what are you, dude? Is it too much to ask Biff Pogey to put some sleeves on? Like, I feel like I'm talking to Rick Vaughn in Major League. Like, we wear caps and sleeves at this level, son. Like, dude, come on, just put just put a collar, put collared shirt on. Like, it, he's doing a. I, I wish he was doing a bit, but the way you made it sound, it sounds like he's like dead serious. Like, this is who he is. Jeff, it's every week, and I'm sure Texas fans have better things to listen to, but somebody's cap it on this. The man, I think you know this, Jeff. He's a former hedge fund manager. Like, he's, he's, he's a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah, but yet he decides no sleeves. Like, that's just wild to me. Yeah, I man, I'd be embarrassed. But then again, it's, it, is, it is Charlotte football, so you can, you can kind of get away with that a little bit. Eric, CB wants to know if you found a favorite barbecue spot in Austin yet. 
Oh, man. Okay, so everyone's been telling me Terry Blacks is what I got to check out. Um, here's the thing, right? So, and you can vouch for this, Jeff. I moved here the third week of July. The, mm-hmm. the following week was the start of fall camp, right? So I had enough time to get this place together and, and, and hit the ground running. So I have not had a chance to really get out and experience too much barbecue. I got crapped on. I think it was here was by you or it might have been the greater audience. Um, well, actually, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll run this by you, Jeff. I said Rudy's was 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 okay. I can't remember if you crapped on it, but I had no. You okay. never you, you'll never hear me crapping okay. on on okay. Rudy's. Rudy's okay. is like uh, I can Rudy's is like uh, I compare it to like it's the target of barbecue places. Like okay. if you want to target everything's pretty, you know, everything's gonna be pretty clean. It's not gonna be ransacked in there, you know. Um, it's just good, solid. It's not top of the line, but it's not like you're eating. Your, it's not like bottom shelf liquors equivalent either. It's just. It's good solid. You know you're gonna get. You know you're gonna leave there with with a solid meal. I, I had a, a couple um, assistants from you know previous schools that I've covered who are, are Texas natives reach out and say, hey, you know, Rudy's solid. You know, so I, I've had Rudy's at a spot County Line on the Hill, I think it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had a, a couple spots, but I haven't truly gotten a chance to branch out and like really get into some Texas barbecue. So yeah, yeah, that's what that's what the while I'm covering baseball, that's what you can do after spring football is over. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you can have me back on 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 the show, and I'll give you a, a one through five. How about that? That's how we're splitting up duties. So Eric Eric is covering basketball. Uh, I've covered basketball the last couple of years. Eric's got it this year, but uh, I'm, I'm keeping that UT baseball beat because I, I love me I love me some springtime at Dish Falk, and the, the chance to go to Omaha is always there. So I'm I'm always for it. Always for a nice trip to Omaha and the College World Series. So we talked about uh, Trill Carter going portaling. We talked about the Alfred Collins, and you wrote about the Alfred Collins deal. Uh, you also wrote about Jonathan Brooks going pro. That that shouldn't shock anybody at this point. It's funny, you know. I was talking to, I think I know I was talking to Hank South about this, and I think I was talking with Jordan about this also. But this was before the knee injury that there was a real chance that Jonathan Brooks could have come back as a senior uh, or as, as a redshirt junior because he would have been able to really make a run at some of those marks in the record books uh, just in terms of career rushing yards and things like that and get himself like in the mix with the elite guys. Uh, would have probably entered 24 as the front runner for the Doak Walker Award if he wasn't a finalist for it or maybe won it this year um i think i think leaving his mark as one of the better backs in school history was really important to him but the knee injury completely changed everything that for a running back to have that kind of a catastrophic injury and i, I saw the the pete them report says he'll, she should be good to go by training camp i mean that's it's about 10 months so you know i, I could go either way eric like i think a team could draft him knowing that they could short-term IR him and say, hey, we'll put you on the shelf. For, what is short-term IR in the NFL? I think it's six four. weeks, four. Just shelve you for the first four weeks and then bring you back. And then by that point, now you're 11 months removed and he's probably good to go at that point. I threw out the crazy idea. But again, I, I assume Jonathan Brooks is going to have a good agent, have a good, you know, good medical people training, uh, you know, people to train him around him get a good with a good training company um i thought the crazy idea would it be the craziest thing in the world it's it's more of a roll of the dice but come back to texas for the spring semester 
you know, being in touch with the doctor that performs your surgery around the Texas medical people, uh, you know, you can rehab on campus, you know, get some, get a little more work done towards your degree, knowing you're going to enter the supplemental draft. We haven't, nobody's talked about the NFL supplemental draft, maybe since like Bernie Kosar, but <laughs> it, they do still hold the supplemental draft. It is still out there. I just threw that out there as just a crazy ass option to to maybe maybe look at. Maybe it never even crossed Jonathan Brooks's mind. And maybe this is just me wanting a reason for the supplemental draft to mean something. But I don't know, man. Is that is it the craziest thing ever, Eric? The supplemental draft? Jeff, who was the last notable guy? Was it was it Maurice Claret or Terrell Pryor? Someone, one of those guys who got their eligibility. I think Terrell Pryor was a supplemental draft. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve Walsh was probably the last time that anybody really, really paid attention to, to the supplemental draft. Um, let me, you know what? Let me look at that. Uh, let me see if it's got a, if the NFL supplemental draft has a, oh, yeah, list of supplemental oh. draft picks. Uh, your most recent one, let's see. Uh, Josh Gordon was a supplemental draft pick. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. after he got dismissed by the shocker. Here's a shocker of all shockers this morning. Josh Gordon was dismissed from Baylor for a failed marijuana test <laughs> and ended up in the supplemental draft. Uh, yeah, Terrell Pryor in 2011 was a third round pick in the supplemental draft. For those that don't know how the supplemental draft works, wherever you pick a guy in the supplemental draft, you lose your pick in the corresponding round in the next draft. Man, the Browns used a two on Josh Gordon in the 2012 supplemental draft. And so the reason I asked the question, Jeff, is I'm wondering, knowing that rule, right, that you're going to lose your pick in the following draft, A, where is a team going to be able to take a spot with a guy who's coming off an ACL? And B, the negotiations, what I don't know, and this might not be something you you can on the fly, is... I don't know how those contracts are negotiated, right? Because if mm-hmm. if if JB is looking at making the same money as he as he would in in the you know common draft, then to me it's 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 all apples to apples. But if there's an opportunity out there for him, you know, to get a couple extra bucks based on on how those contracts may be negotiated, again, I don't know. That I'm not mad at. Uh, that I, it would be would be interesting. At the end of the day, it probably doesn't happen because I mean, again, you know, so few people think about the supplemental draft, right? Yeah. But from the aspect of coming back and getting his degree, and as you talk about, even more so, listen, we know Jonathan Brooks features in the NFL, right? I mean, he'll use that degree when it's time to use it. But um, it, being in touch with, you know, the medical staff here, someone's going to take care of him and all of that, it's not something that's too – when you lay out the case, you can see – you can talk yourself into it. But I think the biggest impetus in my mind are, are for him to really do that is I feel like there have to be some financial incentive um, – that that's not available for him in in and the supplemental draft is held when it's in June in June yeah okay so so at most he's missing rookie minicamp which he wouldn't be able to take take part in anyhow you know yeah. the injury so it's interesting but I just feel like there have to be some financial benefit for him to do so yeah for sure um I'm just looking yeah somebody mentioned Brian Bosworth was a supplemental first round pick back in the day man the Giants spent a one on Dave Brown in the supplemental draft in 92 there were three supplemental first rounders in 89 Steve Walsh Tim Rosenbaugh and Bobby Humphrey was a supplemental draft pick Chris Carter was picked in the supplemental draft Bernie Kozar I mentioned uh yeah man the 
I look, man, I just the supplemental draft has always fascinated me and uh I just wanted a reason to talk about it. But hey, we got a reason to talk about it. So good on me, I guess. Um so we look at the Texas running back room without Jonathan Brooks. Uh, it, it's no, trust me, this is no disrespect to Jonathan Brooks. Just the way Tashar Choice has recruited and evaluated that position, uh, and plus, I, you probably couldn't hear me because as loud as it was in the freaking Superdome the other night, I mean, I was yelling at you and Chip, and y'all were sitting right next to me to have a conversation. Like, it was that freaking loud. Uh, you know, I felt like there were times where we really saw – cj baxter kind of grow up a little bit yes uh, just in terms of him you know being hit in a big time game and having to you know power through some stuff uh making yards after contact making tough runs maximizing runs and the fact that we saw Jaden blue do that i i'm not worried at all about the running back room at texas at this point as a matter of fact you know even you know christian clark and and Jarrett gibson are coming in call me crazy i i really like trey weisner though I don't know. I don't know if they're going to expand his role and you know use him kind of in the Jordan Whittington role a little bit because uh, he is a really good receiver. But I'm I'm intrigued as hell with Trey Weiser. I think a dude that there's something to be said for a guy that busts his ass on special teams and the way the limited opportunities he got <clears throat> to run as hard as he did. I kind of want to see what that looks like in in spring ball. Trey Weiser is one of those guys that. Um, on my spring 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 practice players to watch list, Trey Weisner's on my list, man. Um, I want I want to see what he does. Jeff, I want to work in reverse here. You know, for the audience, I don't know any of the audience, uh, people in the audience, about a chance to have a conversation with Tashar Choice. But if you get a chance to talk to them, obviously, uh, you know, very verbose guy, you know, energetic guy. Listen, he came unglued when I asked him about Trey Weisner. This is the thing that stood out to me from that conversation when you take everything in consideration what Trey Wise has done this year on special teams. The fact that he arrived at Texas around the 170, 175 mark is probably sitting around 190-ish now, but yet he's willing to, you know, haul ass like a speed demon down there on special teams. Like that old school guy who would volunteer to bust up the wedge, if you could still wedge, Trey Weisner would be that guy. That's what's super impressive about what he is on special teams. But Tashard was really talking about the fact that, you know, he, he, in high school, he, he bounced around a bit and, 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 you know, was playing behind, you know, another talent and probably didn't get as many carries as he could have uh, and, and elsewhere, yeah. but had, you know, a really good state championship game. And, and Tashard said, you know, hey, you know, got back to the car and I asked him, coach, like, hey, you know, what's the deal with that guy? And he's like, listen, he, he's, he's the truth. And Trey and Tashard Choices has really been felt uh, emboldened by what he's seen by him, not only uh, in the time last year, but now this year on special teams. So he's really high on him in terms of cj you know i've probably written this 10 times this year there's an adjustment and maybe i error jeff a little bit and i asked sark this question uh thursday zoom prior to iowa state um the question i asked him specifically was hey you know sark's made a lot of mention about using jt sanders an example of like a five-star guy who doesn't hit the ground running immediately needs to take some time to develop and i said with cj you know it it, was it a, a byproduct of the fact that we've seen you know over the recent history these you know highly recruited five-star backs has kind of hit the ground running right and sark kind of mm-hmm. said you know n- not not in an angry way but kind of snark said you know i'd love to see a list of all these five-star guys that hit the ground running right but it feels to me jeff that that running back position usually is one well of course you got to pick up things like pass pro and others but that's a position where you can get a guy who steps in as a freshman and kind of hits the ground running yeah immediately i've said it i said it a lot Bucky Gobble was, you know, coach the Heisman winner at Texas and coach Priest Holmes. 
that's the one position where you can tell really early whether you guys got it or not. Yeah, so just kind of quickly finish up that thought. I think the biggest thing in CJ's game that he had to pick up was just the nuances of running. When we talked with him after Iowa State, he said, you know, he talked with Jonathan Brooks for advice, and he said, you know, the thing that that JB told me is, like, just one cut and go. You know, don't really kind of bounce around too much a little bit and, and you know, kind of pussyfoot back there. Just kind of be one one cut and, and mm-hmm. go. And I think once CJ masters those nuances of running, it's going to help him force missed tackles because that was the one thing that Jonathan Brooks did from the, the jump yeah. once he got the, the starting role that CJ wasn't doing, wasn't forcing missed tackles. And then at this level, you got to be, be able to force at least one guy to miss to really help out your run game. So once CJ gets that under his belt and Jaden Blue, I, you got to be optimistic about this run game in 24. Feels like those two came to balance a little bit because I felt like CJ, like you said, needed to be a little more assertive with the ball in his hands. And I felt like Jaden Blue needed to be more patient. Like you, you watch some of the runs he had earlier in the year, uh, where I think I want to say it was he got a carry in the Wyoming game, maybe, and it could have gone for a long game, but like he didn't let his block set up, and he's just bowling a china shop. And while you appreciate the effort, it's like, man, if you'd have just slowed down a hair and just let that guard get in front of you, man, you might have scored. So I felt like both those guys, one needed to simmer down a little bit the other one maybe needed to pick it up a little bit but i felt like by the end of the year they both kind of got there and we saw that from cj then ah the fumbles hurt man and i know that's that sucks and look it, it happens man look if as a texas fan look i, I saw i've seen Bijan robinson fumble in, in big spots I, i've seen deontay foreman put the ball on the ground jamal charles uh his junior year or maybe his sophomore year there was a time where jamal put the ball on the ground way more than I think Mac Brown or anybody else in that program wanted them to. It happens sometimes. It happens to the best running backs. But uh, the progress that those guys made, again, I don't worry about the running back room at all. I, we talked about the receiver room, though. The A.D. Mitchell thing, A.D. Mitchell still hasn't made uh, an announcement on what he's going to do. I, I mean, my gut tells me he's leaving, uh, but I, I guess we'll wait and see. The, the interesting one, is going to I and I told Chip this and I was dead serious considering Texas is going into the SEC. You know, Quinn I guess at some point Quinn's going to have to make it official that he's coming back even though we all assume that that's what the answer is going to be. Uh other than Quinn the biggest decision that needed to be made was what was Alfred Collins going to do. And now that now that he's gotten his decision, well he hasn't he hasn't officially announced anything yet, but uh, we've heard from some pretty well-placed sources that he's coming back. I think the, the 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 next big one is going to be Jatavian Sanders, right? Because I still, man, maybe it's me reading way too much into it, but I go back to what he said in New Orleans when he was asked about his draft status, and he said, "I'm paraphrasing here, but he said this game could really determine a lot on what I decide." And I think kind of me reading into it i'm like okay if texas would have won and gone on to win a national championship jt sanders isn't coming back but the fact that the game ended the way it did with you on the cusp of playing for a national championship maybe that entices him to come back so we'll see i don't know now real quick jeff what, what's interesting to me and i, and I, I kind of i'm kicking myself i wish i'd asked jt this question uh you know he's he's a you know native texan how much of the records mean to him? A chance to really etch his name in the record book. We know he has the, the record for most receptions by He's time, got the right? career receptions, yeah. 
but and he's, he's he's second. He's second. David Thomas in receiving yards. Yeah, and I, I I need to take a second. Let me find the I, I have the record book pulled up. And okay. I you know I've got ninety five different tabs open, but uh, he's not that far off on the the one the one he's pretty far off on Eric or just touchdowns touchdowns yeah like he's like I think seven away from tying David Thomas and uh yeah because he only had two this year uh after having five last year so give me a second let me go to receiving yards there's passing yeah Jeff while you're doing that I mean I'll just kind of quickly summarize what the point is there is I'm just wondering it, it, like similar to Jonathan Brooks, you know, having a chance to really kind of establish himself on the record books. And JT, again, he's less than a hundred some yards short of the receiving yards and touchdowns to really cement his place in that record book. I wonder how important that is to him. Let's see. I can't do napkin math. So I got to go to the calculator. I was told <laughs> there would be no math involved in today's show. Uh, so he needs about, yeah, 148 yards to pass David Thomas on the career list. So that's what, like, two games, two games, one huge game, and he's he's got the record. So, yeah, he could he could, and especially, I mean, if he were to if he were to leave, if he assuming AD Mitchell leaves, and we know X is out the door, and he's Quinn's number one target. Yep. Uh, man, it, it's not crazy to think the touchdown record could be. Well, I said five. He's eight away from tying David Thomas, okay. so he would he would have to have a pretty you know pretty monster year. But I mean, you look at some of the tight ends in the Big Twelve this year. Uh, ben Stennett at Kansas State had I think nine. I think Jared Wiley at TCU had nine. So it's not it's not unheard of for a tight end to be, uh, you know, eight nine touchdowns. And, and, and Jeff, especially, you know, probably being one of the more sizable targets, you, you know, there is going to help mm-hmm. as well. I mean, there's always room for him to be that, you know, goal line fade play that is your favorite of all time. Fire that mother into the sun. I hate that. Oh, God, I hate the, I hate the red zone fade. It just, it's a low, it's, am I wrong? It's a low percentage throw. Jeff, you, you extremely you up, low percentage. You summed it up well. I can't remember which game it was, but you summed it up in a way that I think, Anyone can understand. If you have Calvin Johnson, if you have, you know, insert, you know, guy, Randy Moss, Randy Moss, right? Then it's a high percentage play. Everyone else, it, it, it's not the most high percentage play in the world. Simple as that. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Graham, right? It's another guy, right? He's yeah. Hoops background. But outside of that, you don't. I have forgot. To. I compared it to something. I forgot what it was. But like, you, you can do it. Like you, it, you know, it, it can work every now and then. But it's not going to work multiple times um in a game i doubt it like i said unless you've got one of those guys and honestly if jt got eight touchdowns next year to tie david thomas he would tie the school record for touchdown receptions by tight end in a season with pat fitzgerald in 1995 nine would obviously give him the record so if he came back and had all three of those records which would give him he would have the single season record for touchdown catches single season yards he's you know six 38 would give him that record and he's got the record for single season touchdown uh well single season receptions he's got the record with 54 last year he he's got a chance to lead texas as the most statistically prolific tight end in school history there you go so that's, and, that's I, and i think right now he's yeah. the most complete tight end texas has had since david thomas 
right. And I was just going to say, I mean, listen, I, I haven't really taken a deep dive to what next year's draft class is. It, it, again, I just think given the upside of what could be there to come back, maybe that that, that makes a decision. I kind of wish I'd asked him that in, in New Orleans. Can we talk Quinn and Arch Manning before uh, Trey and BK jump, jump on yeah, for their show at, at the top of the hour? Are we really going to have to listen to this all offseason? Like it was it was dumb enough we had to listen to it last offseason. Are we really going to have to do this again? Jeff, I, I, I don't want to bury anybody, but it looks like the conversation has already been started uh, by some other folks. I, I, I won't lie. Um, I was hoping we could avoid it, but just my quick two cents. Come on. I mean, Quinn yours. It, this is not the same Quinn yours of last year. He's done more than enough to walk in and, and be securely be the number one quarterback on this team. I mean, it's I feel like I feel like Quinn to an extent is kind of in that place Sam was at one time where Texas fans and and none you know who you are, Texas fans, you know who you are. There were some of you that were openly wanting Casey Thompson over Sam Ellinger. There were some of you that wanted that change. And my point was with Sam, it's like there's nothing wrong with Sam. It's just in comparison, some of the games he's lost, he got outdueled by Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray or or Baker Mayfield, like one of these elite quarterbacks. He got outdueled by a Heisman winner. That's not his fault. Like he Sam Ellinger played his ass off against LSU. Yeah. Yeah, Ricardo, there were some of you people out there that wanted Casey Thompson over Sam Ellinger. And nobody can tell me different because I told a lot of you how stupid and asinine that was to want Casey Thompson over Sam Ellinger. I'm not saying it's asinine to want Arch, but you got to understand, if somebody other than Quinn Ewers is the quarterback at Texas, the starting quarterback at Texas for the majority of 2024, one of two things, one of three things happened. One, Quinn didn't come back, so he's not there. Two, Quinn suffered a debilitating injury, or three, which it would be likely, but how likely is it? I don't know because I'm not in the room with AJ Milwe every day. Arch Manning's level of play would have to be at such a level already and on such a trajectory that Sark and AJ Milwe would have no choice but to make that decision. You can't make that decision based on an experiment or a hypothetical or a what if. It has to be 1,000% clear cut, no doubt. And I think I what I think people are underestimating, Eric, people out in Gen Pop, I think people underestimate the patience that Arch has. Arch talked a lot about in that media yeah. availability on Saturday. Yeah. He talked yeah. a lot about having to learn patience. But, you know, I think what his – and he leans on his grandpa a lot. You know, he, he leans on he leans on Archie a lot uh, and Peyton and Eli are there if he needs them. But I think that's the one thing Archie would probably tell him. And I'm pretty sure his dad, I'm pretty sure Cooper has told him that, too. Like, hey, just be patient. Wait your turn. Soak everything in. And, I, you know, talking to A.J. Milwee, you know, I was talking to him about managing the quarterback position. And he said he said it would probably be tougher. He said, but I'm telling you, he said, and I'm not lying. And I'm going to take A.J. Milwee at his word. He said. It's really nice in this day and age for me to go in the room every day and everybody in that room genuinely likes each other. They genuinely pull for each other. He said, even when Malik was in that room, he said, he said, those guys go out to eat with each other every, every Tuesday, they go out to dinner as a group. Uh, You know, Arch said he had Quinn over 
uh, to his house when they were in New Orleans. Had Quinn, Quinn and a couple of guys over for dinner. So that's a group. Yeah, they're competitive, but they genuinely want each other to succeed. Yeah, Ricardo, you you hit the nail on the head. Like, I, I don't think I think everybody's way overestimating that. Like, Arch needs to play. Arch needs to start. I don't, Eric. I haven't gotten that vibe at all. Jeff, it would have to be, in my mind, the, the biggest, the most recent example I could think of, not a college example, but it would have to be Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith level. It is clear every day yeah. that this guy is, the ceiling is this, and then with this guy, the ceiling is this. I mean, even if you look at some of those other college jobs, like, you know, Jacob Eason was the quarterback at Georgia when Georgia played for, when Georgia won the SEC in 17 and played for a national championship. Uh, or I'm sorry, in 16. The only reason Jacob Eason wasn't the quarterback the next year is because he got hurt early in the year. Jake Fromm got the job and just started winning ball games and and didn't let it go. And Jake uh, Jacob Eason lost his job because of injury. Uh, JT Daniels lost his job because of injury to Stetson Bennett. Like it, that kind of stuff does happen. But you know, that it happens, but it's not. You can't predict it to happen you can't speak it into existence right just i'm i'm by no means i i I feel like texas fans and some of the writers and i've probably been guilty of some of this too even though i feel like i give quarterbacks a pretty long leash in my time in texas like i gave maybe with the exception of tyrone swoops because i could kind of see that just wasn't going to work and i was on the jt barrett bandwagon anyway that thought texas should have gone after jt barrett but i digress it's so quick to just want the next thing. Like, okay, we've seen that. That's what is like, or is everybody assuming that Quinn's not going to get better over the off season? Like is Quinn Ewers done developing? Um, the guy just won. Like here, here's the list of quarterbacks that won a big 12 championship at Texas. You ready? James Brown, Vince Young, Colt McCoy, Quinn Ewers. That's the list. That's the list of quarterbacks in Texas that have won a conference championship in the Big 12 era. So you can't just, again, you can't just assume that Arch is just going to pass Quinn. I think that's the the least likely of those scenarios. I just, I know we're going to hear it throughout the offseason. I know we're going to hear it during spring ball. I just, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I'm not, look, I've known Cedric Golden for a long time. I'm not I'm not bashing Cedric or saying he should have written it or whatever. I'm just saying I heard it all last offseason. I said it was dumb to hear it last offseason. And I'm just not I'm not gonna entertain it. I'm just not I'm not here for your choreography. If Sark comes out at the end of spring ball and says, you know what, Arch performed so much better than Quinn and he's on such a trajectory that we have to make this move, then so be it at that point. But I'm not I'm going to channel my inner Steve Sarkeesian, Eric. I'm not going to lit deal in a world of hypotheticals. Like I'm, I have, I'm not giving up on Quinn Ewers. I think he's got a chance to get better. And I'm not, I, I'm, I enjoyed being on the Texas football beat this year for the first time in a long time. I'm not going to spoil it less than a week after the season's over by igniting a quarterback controversy. Trey, Trey, you, Trey, you can speak to this better than most people that are on the show. BK included. Uh, I, I think there's some Texas fans that heard about Sims Applewhite and what that was like. But if you're a Texas fan that followed the program and like lived through it and remembers, that was not fun at all to deal with as a fan. It was 
it was like nail. It got to be like nails on a chalkboard. Everybody had their opinion on it, but it. I, I don't. I don't want to live in that world again. And look, we've we've lived through you know quarterback battles or controversies involving like David Ash and Case McCoy and Tyrone Swoops and Gerard Hurd. Texas is dealing with first world problems at quarterback now. Like let's let's be honest. That competition that was, huh? The Swoops Hurd. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's, we're, we're in a much better place just in terms of the yeah. uh, caliber of talented quarterback right now. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know if you guys were going to talk about it today, but I just wanted to start there. Uh, and by the way, thank you, Eric, for, for jumping on and doing this today. Um, I'm not ready to give up on Quinn yours there. I, I think there's still a couple different levels Quinn can get to. I'm not, I don't think he's done developing. I don't think we should discard Quinn like yesterday's garbage. I agree with everything you said, Jeff. BK and I talked about it yesterday, and to even have to phrase it, give up on Quinn Ewers is just maddening. It's like people don't remember. And look, I love Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger was a freaking warrior. We made it to a sugar bowl because of Sam Ellinger. We haven't had quarterback play this good, as BK put it yesterday, since Colt McCoy. When yours would have been an all-conference performer this year and likely going to the NFL draft if he had stayed healthy for the entirety of this season. Yeah. And you're going to take that for granted because the grass is a little bit greener with the backup quarterback. The most popular guy on campus at pretty much every campus across across the country, especially when he has that Manning pedigree. Yeah. You cannot take for granted what you have now because of the potential of something else. And even if Quinn Ewers has hit his ceiling, which I don't think he has. I don't think he has either. I think he would tell you there's things that he's going to work hard on this offseason if he chooses to return to Texas. That his he, He's not even close to his ceiling just yet. And by the way, considering how much you lose in terms of productivity out of your pass catchers, Worthy's already gone. Whittington's gone. A.D. Mitchell, hearing probably gone. now that he could be coming back, but he's likely gone. J.T. Sanders is likely gone as well. You need any sort of veteran leadership within that passing game that you can get, and who better to get that from than the quarterback who obviously has such a great handle on this offense right now. Yeah. This is a guy who has taken, I mean, the snaps that he's taken where he's actually trying to drive drive the ball down the field were in an absolute beatdown. The only other snaps that he took were downing the ball in the Big 12 championship game. Right. Um, BK, I had to drop a you people during our show. Because I, I told Texas fans, you you people know who you are. There were some people openly wanting Casey Thompson over Sam Ellinger. Oh, yeah. A lot of them. I don't yeah. know how many of them will admit to that now. Nobody's going to admit to that now. Yeah. No, but there were, there were a lot of people who were uh, on that train a few years ago. Now, Eric, first of all, big fan of your work. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you. Good. Uh, second of all, yeah, I'm a little too young to remember the Sims Applewhite debates, but I do remember Team Edward and Team Jacob from Twilight. It's more my speed. And uh, I'm here to tell you right now, I'm Team Arch Manning, baby. I've been called Cedric Golden Jr. before. I am, I'm doing that again. I am stirring the pot. I am all in on the Arch Manning sweepstakes. And Quinn can go somewhere else. And I, I love I love Seti Bear, but man. Eric, I uh, eject that take was so bad. Be <laughs> <good job>. uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do. I'm not ready to do this less than a week after the season's over. A season that I actually enjoyed. You know how many Texas football seasons in the last 14 years that when they ended, I've been like, thank God that's over. 
This was the one. This wasn't one of them. I really I wish this, there was another game for this team. It's probably the only one where you haven't wished it was over. Uh, twenty eighteen was nice. It's good. Uh, I got yeah. drunk. I got uh, trust me. I got drunk on Kool Aid that off season, but I think we all did. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we did. Anyway, uh, speaking of getting drunk, it is Friday, so I don't know what you guys have going on. Trey, what you've got going on on that crazy afternoon show. But, gentlemen, have a good afternoon. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, Jordan should be back on Monday, and we'll uh, we'll do it up big, 11 to noon. It's only an hour.